Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew continues in the Bible series on the book of Hebrews with this message entitled, A New Covenant Blessing. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Hebrews chapter 8. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Light came upon us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And in your Son, salvation was given to us, an eternal salvation. Help us, O Lord, to treasure this light and this salvation. May we not backslide, go back preferring darkness and shadow and symbols. Lord, we pray that you bring today people into this light. Today, those who are sitting in darkness may see the light of the gospel. And may they call upon the name of the Lord. As the publican called out, O God, have mercy upon me, the sinner. And he was justified, saved instantly. Lord, help your people to humble themselves and trust in your Son and be saved forever. Deliver them from this darkness, this gloom and this misery, this wretchedness, this hopelessness. Bring them into the light of Christ into the freedom of the children of men. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you don't know, my family came out of a denomination that was sacerdotal. It had priests who followed after the pattern of the Levitical priesthood which, of course, Jesus Christ came to abolish. There are Orthodox churches and Roman Catholic churches that function in this manner. They function still as shadow and symbol. Even now, when the reality has come in Jesus. They do not preach the bright light and life of the gospel. And then there are Protestant churches that exist, not as shadows, but in deep darkness. And by divine grace, we were able to come out from the shadow into the marvelous light of the gospel, and for which we suffered throughout our life. The church of the Hebrews, due to persecution and suffering, was tempted to go back to Judaism, to animal sacrifice, and the perceived dignity of Levitical priesthood. Today, I hear prominent evangelicals returning to the shadow of sacerdotal churches enamored by the rituals 
of mass, vestments, bells, incense, candles, traditions, and beautiful buildings, and so on. Our author, in his letter, shows the utter stupidity of going back to the symbol and shadow of Aaronic priesthood and bloody sacrifices, having experienced the reality, the shadow pointed to, the reality of the superior priesthood of Jesus Christ, who ministers in a superior sanctuary, who is mediator of the new covenant. I say it is utter mindlessness to abandon substance for shadows cast by reality of new covenant blessings flowing from the ministry of Jesus Christ. I am saying that Jesus Christ has made the Aaronic priesthood already obsolete. It was aging and decaying and completely disappeared as Jesus predicted in AD 70. So let us look at our superior high priest. From chapter 8 of the book of Hebrews, the author tells us the chief point of what, the, what he has been saying is summarized in verse 1 and 2. And he says that we have in Jesus Christ a superior high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The guarantor of a better covenant. And we read in chapter 7 the priesthood of Aaron was weak and useless because it never made anyone perfect. It never solved the sin problem. It did not open the way to the Holy of Holies. It did not help a sinner to have fellowship with God. So our sinless Son of God and Son of Man, who lives forever by his one sacrifice of himself, once for all offered, he made atonement for the sins of God's people. And this high priest is mighty to save completely and for all time all those who come to God through him. We have such a high priest. He says we have. Not we will have, we have. Which means we possess him. He is for us, he is with us. And he said, I'll be with you always, even unto the end of the ages. He is in us the hope of glory. Yet he is with the Father. And what does he do there? He intercedes before the Father in behalf of us on the basis of his atonement. My question to you this morning is, do you have him as your high priest? As your intercessor? As your atonement? 
if you don't you are without God and without hope in the world but the author tells us we have such a distinguished high priest and what is his posture the author says he is seated and if you study Levitical priesthood they never sat down there was no chair in the tabernacle or in the temple their work was never finished their sacrifices chapter 10 tells us was an annual reminder of the sins of the people the Aaronic priests never made effective atonement for the sins of the people we know why they were sinners themselves they were dying they were offering unconscious and unwilling animals as their substitute but Jesus Christ the eternal son of God the sinless perfect son of man offered himself in our place once for all and what he finished the work so Jesus cried out from the cross tetelestai die it is finished the work of atonement is finished and finished forever so we read in chapter 1 verse 3 after he provided purification for sins he sat down and our Lord Jesus Christ sat down and Psalm 110 says the Lord said to my Lord sit until I make your enemies your footstool so he sat down as king and priest he is the royal priest Paul also speaks about this sitting down in Ephesians chapter 1 let's read Ephesians chapter 1 and beginning verse 21 far above all rule and authority power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the one to come and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body and the fullness of him who fills all in all Lord Jesus Christ as sovereign Lord and priest sat down and he tells us that we also in one sense are seated with Jesus Christ as king and priest and where is he seated look at chapter 8 of of the book of Hebrews he is seated on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven that means he is given a seat of privilege honor and all authority he is seated in other words on the right hand of God the Father all things are subjected to him let me tell you you are subjected to him everything is subjected to him and he is the head of the church and he fills the church 
with blessings. On the right hand of the Father, the seated Christ, the royal priest, must reign, we are told by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now think about that, all our resistance to the will of God. It will never work. He will reign until he puts every enemy under his feet. He is seated, he reigns, he intercedes. Where is he seated? He is seated in heaven. That is in the third heaven, that is in paradise. That is heaven far above all heavens. I say he is seated, as we read in chapter 9, verse 24, in the presence of God. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. And he ministers in a superior sanctuary. Jesus returned to heaven in his ascension to the Father's right hand. He returned not the way he came. He returned not only as Son and Lord and King, but also Son of Man, High Priest, Savior. He went back one person in two natures, God-Man. He serves in a sanctuary unlike the tabernacle on earth. The sanctuary, the tabernacle, the temple on earth, we are told was a copy only. It was only a shadow cast by the substantial heavenly sanctuary. The earthly tabernacle was only a copy of the heavenly true sanctuary. And the tabernacle Moses built was according to the pattern shown to him on the mountain. The tabernacle Moses built was therefore imperfect and impermanent. It was simply shadow, type and symbol of the heavenly sanctuary which is God's presence. It pointed to the heavenly country, the city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. It pointed to the unshakable kingdom of God. It pointed to heaven itself. It pointed to God. And you know the tabernacle was destroyed. The temple was burned down. They said the temple, 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 we are safe and secure from all along. It was destroyed and destroyed twice, but not the heavenly sanctuary. Where our Lord Jesus Christ, the great high priest, serves. And while he was on earth, he was simply a layman and not a priest. And would be prevented by law from ministering in the temple. But now he ministers in heaven, in the real sanctuary, not made with human hands, but we are told a sanctuary pitched by the Lord himself. 
Brothers and sisters, the time of shadow is over. The age of reality has come in Jesus Christ. It is therefore absolute foolishness to hanker after symbols, shadows, vestments, smells, incense, candles, gold, silver, gothic structures, and clergy laity distinction. Away with all carnal things. We have such a high priest, a seated high priest, a seated on the right hand of God high priest, a seated in heaven high priest, one who ministers in heavenly God-built sanctuary. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Let us understand the spiritual nature of this sanctuary and of New Testament worship. Hebrews 12, beginning with verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion. Now, don't confuse it with Jerusalem. It has nothing to do with Jerusalem. So he says, to the heavenly Jerusalem. In spirit and in faith we come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. The city whose builder and maker is God. This is the heavenly country, not Canaan. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better word than the blood of Abel. I came out of the Orthodox Church and my parents. We suffered persecution so that by faith, and in spirit, we may worship God in the light of the gospel. In the heavenly sanctuary, our Lord Jesus Christ serves, we are told, as our mediator of the new covenant. He is our guarantor. He is our mediator. We have nothing to worry. When Jesus Christ guarantees our salvation. And when Jesus Christ is our mediator. Between God and us. A mediator is a go-between. He is an arbitrator between two estranged parties. Holy God and sinful men. And he defends the interests of both. He brings about a win-win situation for both parties. And Jesus Christ defends God's justice and holiness. And he secures the eternal salvation of us sinners from God's wrath. Turn to chapter 9 and verse 15. For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. 
guarantor of a new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. If we never come short of saints everlasting rest. We never come short of inheriting this eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. William Tyndale used the term atonemaker. Jesus Christ is our atonemaker. He makes atonement. Why is it? Because he kept God's law fully and completely in his life and also he passively obeyed him in his death he thus defended God's justice and holiness and so God justifies sinners not in spite of his holiness but in harmony with his holiness. Christ died. Christ lived and died. To defend God's holiness. And to save our sinners. Let's turn to chapter 10 and verse 12. Christ died for our sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice... For sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. Yes, this high priest has had something to offer. Every high priest must offer sacrifice. And this one also had something to offer. And we are told what this something was. Verse 27, we are told he sacrificed himself. Not animals. Chapter 9 verse 12. We are told. His blood he sacrificed. Chapter 10 verse 10. We are told that he offered his body. He offered himself. He shed his blood. And he offered his body. He offered one sacrifice. Himself. Once for all. Defending the interest of God and the interest of us. So God is just in justifying everyone who believes in this one sacrifice, once for, for all offered by our guarantor, mediator, Jesus Christ. And in the heavenly sanctuary, he makes intercession. In behalf of us. Based on the singularity. Of his own sacrifice. And the father's answer to his son's intercession. In behalf of us. Based on. His effectual sacrifice. Is always what? Yes. 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 And never. No. I say he's our guarantor. He's our mediator. 
brothers and sisters, our salvation does not depend on anything in this world. It does not even depend on our feeling which changes like weather every day. Our salvation rests on Christ's mediatorship, Christ's atonement based on his vicarious sacrifice. And third, the superior new covenant blessings. The old covenant, we are told, was faulty, imperfect, and temporary. Now the question is, it was God who instituted the old covenant, so the fault should be in him? No, sir. What is the problem? The fault is in us. What the law was powerless to do because of our flesh. Our sinfulness. The Sinaitic covenant, unlike Abrahamic covenant, was conditional and obligatory. God established this covenant with Israel on Mount Sinai. And they agreed to keep this covenant obligation. Read chapter 24 of Exodus, verse 3 and 7. It's, we will obey. All what the Lord tells us. We will obey. But notice. Here in chapter 8 and verse 9. Because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. It is not the problem of the covenant. It is the problem of human sinfulness. The unbelieving rebel Israelites were destroyed. 40 years, 500,448 of them were killed by God day after day after day. And in Canaan, God destroyed them and cast them out in exile. It was always God's plan to bring about a new priesthood and a new covenant. Read 110th Psalm. And Jeremiah 31. It was not an afterthought. It was always God's plan. To bring in a new priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. And a new covenant. By design then Aaronic priesthood and the law was temporary. And we are told what is the purpose of it. This temporary Sinaitic covenant. It was... To bring consciousness of sin, consciousness of our total depravity, our moral inability, and that we may be brought to realize that we need Christ. So in the 7th century BC, God spoke through Jeremiah his intention of bringing about a new covenant, which will be permanent and effectual and will not be superseded. A new covenant that will be fulfilled by our mediator, Jesus Christ. And that will solve our sin problem once for all. 
and make us perfect to come to the new Jerusalem, the city of the living God, to the presence of God, and to worship him in spirit and in truth. It will solve our sin problem once for all and make us perfect to enjoy eternal fellowship with God in Jesus Christ. So the author quotes Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 in full. And this is the longest quotation in the New Testament from the Old Testament. And this new covenant is an authoritative declaration of God. Three times we are told in this quotation, declares the Lord. And there are seven I wills that tells you God is going to perform it. And you read, I will accomplish, I will establish, I will put, I will write, I will be, and I will forgive, and I will not remember their sins. Never, never. What are then the new covenant characteristics and blessings? Three of them. First, the implanting of God's law into our hearts. That it will be our nature to love God, to love his law, and to do his will. And if it is not true of you, then you call upon the name of the Lord that you may be saved. implanting of God's law. The law given on Sinai was written on stones. The problem of man is that he is a sinner. He is a rebel. He hates God's law in his heart. His mind refuses it. He exchanges truth for a lie. His will chooses always evil. And his affections are for evil. That is, he loves wickedness and hates righteousness. And we read this depravity of man in Genesis 6. Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And turn with me to the book of Mark, Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. The Lord Jesus Christ locates sin, not outside, but inside human heart. Uh, Mark seven twenty one. From within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And look at Romans chapter 3. And we find total depravity of man in his heart. And let me read from verse 10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands that he understands God. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have, got, they have together become worthless. 
There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's our problem. Our problem is never external and environmental. Our problem is internal rottenness. And the solution then is we need a new heart. A new mind, a new will, new affections. We need regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Nothing less than that, sir. Not a decision of salvation, but a salvation based on God's implanting of his law in our hearts. We need spiritual resurrection. We need the life of God in the soul of man. We need God to write his moral laws on the new heart. We need God to make his laws part of our new nature. So we naturally delight in God's law and do them. We study with our mind eagerly. We choose with our wills God's law to do them. And we with our affections love God's law and hate evil. It is not that we get rid of God's law and become antinomians. There is nothing wrong with the law. It is the transcript of God's nature which he wants us to be following. God wants us to be like God. So God implants the law in us that we know it and we will it and we love it. I eat rice, sir, because I was brought up with rice. That's my nature. And when you are born of God, your mind wants to know God. Your will will be yielded to God's will. And your affections will love God and hate evil. Grace enables us to do God's law. And thus honor God. Anyone who disobeys God's law dishonors God. But we are told to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You can never disobey God's moral law and glorify God. Because law is God's nature. Before we lacked ability, the new covenant makes us able to love God and keep his commandments. God's law is now our inner principle. And we have a new heart. And we have a new nature. And the younger prophet, younger to Jeremiah, Ezekiel, spoke about it. Let's turn to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 11. Beginning with verse 18, they will return to it. 
and remove all its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They'll be my people and I will be their God. Turn to chapter 36 of the book of Ezekiel. And beginning with verse 26, I will give you a new heart. See, that's what we need. Our problem is wicked, deceitful mind, will, affections, heart. And we need a new one. We need nothing less than a heart transplant. A new heart. And that miracle is accomplished by God in his people. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove, remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my Holy Spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. There is no antinomianism. Our problem is moral depravity and God's answer is regeneration, a new heart, a new attitude, a new nature, a new spirit, a new dynamic, a new power. True Christianity is not anti-law. Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 13. You read this recently. Verse 8 uh, through 10. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his brother has fulfilled the law, the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Christianity is not saying to you, forget about the law. Christianity enables you. To love the law and do the law. Turn to chapter 13 of the book of Hebrews here. He finally tells us how they should live. 13th chapter of Hebrews 20 and 21. May the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus. The great shepherd of the sheep. Now notice. Equip you. Furnish you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him. That is keeping God's moral law. Through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says the same thing. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure, sir. Second, he gives you knowledge of God in this new covenant. This means new covenant people will know God directly. People of the new covenant enjoy fellowship with God. They love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is an experimental and experiential knowledge brought about by spirit's regeneration. And your continuing interest and desire is to know God and fellowship with God. 
and your desire is to know him from the scriptures, taught by the Spirit. We are told all people will know the Lord, Israel and Judah, Jews and Gentiles, the least and the greatest, they know God. They love God. They have intimacy with God. They worship God with all their heart, mind, soul and strength. They are not sleeping. They love God. They come to church to worship God. They enjoy it. They delight in it. It's a sign of the new covenant. And said, I'll be their God. I will do for them what only God can do for them. And they will be my people. Loving me and doing my will and fellowshipping with me. This is eternal life that they may know the, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. God delights in his people and the people delights in God. No more idolatry, no more golden calf. Our hearts find rest in God. The saints discover finally their everlasting rest in his fellowship with God. And lastly, of course, what makes it all possible, we are told this in this. Take a look at it. Verse 12, for because all these are made possible. Because what? I will be merciful. That's the way in Greek text. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And I'll remember their sins no more. So, the third blessing. Sins blotted out. David said, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. And he said also, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgression. But that's exactly what is happening in the new covenant, in the ministry of Jesus Christ, in his high priesthood. In this new covenant, the Lord himself establishes all our sins are blotted out. Let's praise God. Not even one sin will remain, does remain. Sin of the past, sin of the future, and sin of the present. No more monkey on our back. No more a crushing load of sin on our back. No more slavery to sin. No more bondage of the will. No more sin, guilt, and punishment. No more wrath of God. From now on, a new day of God's favor is dawning. We enter into an eternal spring season of God's smile. I'll be merciful to their wickedness. And that is in keeping with the mercy seat. The public can cry out, be mercy upon me, the sinner, on the basis of this whole sacrifice. The blood is shed upon the mercy seat. But now we know it is not the blood of animals, but the blood of Jesus Christ himself is sprinkled upon the mercy seat. God's justice is satisfied. Hallelujah. I therefore will be merciful to their wickedness. Because Christ has satisfied God's justice. And notice then, I will never 
never, never remember their sins. Remember means to act against the sinner on the basis of his sins. That's what remember means here. To remember here means to send them to hell. But he says, I will never, 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 never remember their sins. That is, they are saved forever. God has washed, God has sanctified, God has justified. All because of our mediator. All because of the person and sacrifice of Jesus Christ in our behalf. Turn with me, Isaiah. We have read this before, but it is good to read it again. This glorious truth, the blessing from the new covenant. Isaiah 43 and verse 25. I even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Notice my own sake. New covenant is fulfilled by God himself. Not based on anything in us that is commendable or good for my own sake. Blots out. No trace is left. Man remembers your sins no more. Chapter 44 and verse 22 of Isaiah. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud. Your sins like the morning mist. And verse 23. Sing for joy of heaven. Sing it. There is reason for it. Sins are taken care of. Turn to Micah chapter 7 and verse 18. Take a look at this. Who is God? That's what Micah is. Who is God? Who is God? Who is a God like you? It's a rhetorical question. What is the answer? There is no God like you. Who blots out sins and remembers sins no more. Who takes sinners to heaven. Who is a God like you. Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. Oh, you do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Based on the mercy seat, based on the sprinkled blood of Christ. You will again have compassion on us and says, you will tread our sins under foot as an enemy. He defeats under foot your sin, my sin. He's completely defeated. And then and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the ocean. I'll blot out their sins. I will never, 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 never remember them. Hallelujah. So Isaiah says in chapter 1, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Remember no more. And why, sir? Because... He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We enjoy, sir. 
better priesthood, better covenant, better promises, better sanctuary. Hallelujah. It's all better. Better, better, better. All of our sins are blotted out, not in spite of God's justice and holiness, but in harmony with it by the work of our mediator. My question is, do you belong to this new covenant which Jesus ratified by his blood? Remember, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Paul says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This new covenant ratified by Christ and made the old obsolete. And when Christ was crucified, the veil that prevented people from coming to the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom. Does he say this morning to you, I will forgive your wickedness and remember sins no more. I say, have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal salvation? This new covenant Jesus came to fulfill in our stead. Now those who trust in Jesus enjoy. Hallelujah, it's a life of enjoyment. They are regenerated, they have new nature, that delight in God and his law. They glorify God by loving and doing God's will. By grace, the Holy Spirit dwells in them, enabling them to love God. They have a new heart, a new mind, a new will, and new affections. Not a reformed one, say new ones. What about the shadow of Aaronic priesthood and temple? Animal sacrifices, various ceremonies, smells, rituals, bells. Read verse 13. Christ made them obsolete. New has come. Old is gone. Reality has come. Shadow and symbol are gone. It is sheer stupidity. To go back to temple and animal sacrifices. Yea, it will be apostasy. It will be turning away from the true and living God. The Sinaitic covenant was impotent, imperfect, impermanent. They pointed to Christ. Christ has come. His blood is shed. He has established the new covenant. And he predicted the end of the old. And in AD 70... The Levitical priesthood and sacrifices forever came to an end. No more shadow, says the Lord. You may ask, what shall we do, sir, then? Let me ask you, let me tell you the answer. Consider Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith the apostle and the high priesthood of the new covenant. He died for us. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He ascended and he is seated for us. As royal priest, he is given all power and authority. He rules and reigns as royal priest in God's presence, the heavenly sanctuary. What should you do? Consider him who lives forever to intercede for us before the Father. And his answer always, sir, yes, 
yes, yes, salvation, 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 forgiveness, salvation, hallelujah. Consider him as our guarantor, our mediator. And let me tell you, you shall be filled with all hope and power and peace to live for God's glory in joy inexpressible here and hereafter. Heavenly Father, thank you for the superior, our superior high priest, his superior ministry in the superior sanctuary, in the superior covenant. Thank you for giving us a new heart. Thank you for causing us to enjoy fellowship with God. Away from all golden calf, we worship the true and living God. Thank you for showing mercy to us. Thank you for forgiving all our sins. And in Jesus Christ, you have made us perfect. And you welcome us to come. Come, draw near. Come, hallelujah. Turn to him. Call upon him. Hallelujah. In Jesus Christ, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, our monkey is gone. The Lord of guilt that crushed us is gone. A new day has come. It is spring for us forever. Lord, help us then to live a life of joy. Amen. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio with the continuing Bible series on the book of Hebrews. Come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.